This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 20. If you're using a church Bible, if you turn to page 840, that'll bring you to Mark chapter 5. How are you, Senior? Good. Well, I was going to ask what Jason asked this morning about the Super Bowl, but he already took that question. How many of you are actually going to watch the Super Bowl today or be involved in it some way? And the Super Bowl is actually the most watched show on television. It actually beat out MASH, the final episode. I saw this on Wikipedia. The final episode of MASH, 27 years ago I think it was, had the highest ratings until last year's Super Bowl. Over 106 million people on average, something like that, watched the Super Bowl. And part of the reason is, I think, it's because of this, seeing these two superpowers. You might have a different opinion about that, but that's how it's portrayed. Two superpowers coming together to face off in this mighty showdown to determine the best man, the winning team. I know that nowadays many just watch it for the commercials. It has nothing to even do with the game. There are a few similarities in thinking about the Super Bowl and thinking about today's message, the text that we have before us in Mark chapter 5. There are a few similarities between the Super Bowl and the story that we'll read here in a second. Both make a reference to pigs. I don't know if you knew this. Have you ever heard the football actually called a pigskin? Do you know why it was called that? I I didn't. I thought maybe it was because they at one time had used pigskin to cover the football, but that is not the case. They actually used, at one time, pig bladders as an inflation device because they seal well inside of some type of material to create a throwing football. So that is where this idea came of being, being, it being called a pigskin. And there will be pigs in our story. So there's some familiarity. <laughs> there is a clear winner and loser in the Super Bowl, and there will be one in our story today. One team will be exalted and one will be humbled. And so it will be in our story today. And people will continue to talk about the champion of this game long after the game day is over. And so it is with our story today. Mark chapter 5. If you look at the text with me, beginning in verse 1, we'll be reading through verse 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, 
What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. We will not cover every detail of this story this morning. We simply do not have time. But what we will cover is in your outline, inside of your bulletin, if you'd like to follow along, we're looking at four aspects of Jesus' victorious encounter with the demoniac so that we might see, honor, and proclaim Christ as the champion that he is. That's where we're going this morning. And we'll look at these four aspects in a second. But before we do, let me just review a little bit from last week and catch us up. By the way, if you're a note taker and you want to study this a little bit more, this passage. The parallel passages for this passage, meaning the same story in the other Gospels, you can find them in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 34, and also in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Now last week we read about, if you weren't here, I'll remind you, and if you were here, I'll remind you, (laughs) about the power of Jesus that was recorded in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Do you remember a little bit? When he exercised his sovereign authority over nature. Over nature. The wind in the sea. Can you imagine the power a government would have if it could control the weather? Hmm. To make it do what they wanted. Do you know, supposedly, according to certain internet sites, they've been working on such things? Don't know if that's true. Some of the worst disasters in our history have been the result of bad weather. Think about that. Think about not only the control, but what they could prevent if they actually could control the weather. Unlike some of the prosperity, health, and wealth gospel preachers that you hear on TV that actually suggest that they, like God, have the power to control weather, to tell tornadoes to go away and the rain to stop, which is absolutely ridiculous. There is only one, that is God Himself, His Son Jesus Christ, 
who has the power to speak to weather, to nature, and it must obey. Christ could not, as we saw last week, and would not be overcome by a powerful, life-threatening storm. From last week, we learned that after a long day of ministry, Jesus asked his men, by way of reminder, to cross the Sea of Galilee to the east shore. They were on the west shore. And while on that lake, a very dangerous and violent storm arose immediately. Jesus' men thought they would die. Do you remember? We're going to perish. But Jesus confidently and immediately subdued the violent storm without even breaking a sweat. Peace, be still. And it was so. It was calm on the lake. But in the boat, his disciples were shocked and unnerved by that display of absolute power. Now, before they could spend much time contemplating what they had just seen and heard in this one that they are following, they would become witnesses to another display of Jesus' sovereign authority by taming what no man could subdue. Forces that brought fear and terror into the hearts of men are made powerless before the King of Kings, Jesus the Christ. When we get to Mark chapter 5, it says that He steps off the boat. So remember, they had just come across the lake, across the Sea of Galilee. They had just experienced this horrific storm and they came across in one piece because of Jesus Christ, safely arriving on the shore. But the second they step out, Mark says immediately, immediately they encounter an aggressive man who is controlled by an eternal evil storm of demons. I wonder, I just, when I read through this, I wonder what the disciples were thinking at this point. Are you kidding me? Do we even get a moment of rest? No. No. So that brings us this morning to this first aspect that we want to look at in this encounter, this victorious encounter Jesus has with the demoniac. And that I'll pull back into verse 2, looking at the last half of verse 2. It says, and reading through verse 5, the first point here is what we see is a hopeless situation, beloved, a hopeless situation. Immediately there met him, that is Jesus, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Jump to verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. The man, it says, had an unclean spirit. This is not a spirit who lacked proper hygiene. That's not what he's saying. Like, woo, that is one unclean spirit. Unclean in this sense means impure or evil. Impure or evil. Morally speaking, the spirit was filthy, vile, and wicked. That is what is meant by an unclean spirit. Notice that this man no longer lived among his friends or family in the city. But away from them, away from the city, actually living among the dead. Look back at verse 3. It says, among the tombs he lived. 
He lived among the tombs. These were natural or carved out caves in the side of the mountain or the hills, commonly used as burial places for the dead in the city. This location would have been outside of the city. It's very possible, the text doesn't tell us, but it's very possible, understanding the circumstances, that he was forced out of the city because of his strange and dangerous behavior among the people, and this is where he found shelter. Sometimes the very poor and weak would also find shelter in such places, these tombs, these burial sites. Society had rejected him, beloved, and his new residence now was a graveyard. How would you like to live among or in a graveyard? Sounds like a great place, right? Good real estate there. Look back at verse 3, the last part of it. It says, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He was out of control. He was so out of control that the people responded to his madness by trying to chain him up like an animal. That's what's going on. They could not help him or change him, so they believed that their only recourse was to restrain him the best way they could. That's the condition of this man. Hopeless situation. Verse 5 says that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Mark adds that his days and evenings were spent how? Screaming or shrieking, literally, and mutilating his own body with sharp stones. That was the condition of this man. When you look back at Luke chapter 8, verse 27, to look at the parallel account, The detail there is recorded that for a long time now, he had no clothes. He was wandering around without any clothes on. He was a violent, homeless, unclothed, reckless, rejected, depressed, suicidal, and self-mutilated man. That's the condition that Mark presents. Hopeless. He was a terror to himself and to those around him. The unclean spirits, wicked and evil, had made an absolute mess of this man's life. His situation appeared to be absolutely and truly hopeless. How could anyone be delivered from these overwhelming circumstances? And that's the question Mark wants his readers to ask. How is it possible? Such dire conditions. That takes us to our second point, a powerful opposition. First, we see a hopeless situation in this man. Second, we see a powerful opposition. What Jesus faced in the encounter with this man was not your run-of-the-mill or average demon possession. Don't miss this. This was a very special case according to the facts of the story as I'll show you in a moment. We are told in the text that attempts were made in the past to bind him, but they ultimately all failed, so they stopped even trying. Verse 3 says, And no one could bind him anymore, anymore, not even with a chain. And Mark does something here that you may not see in your translation clearly in the English translation, but he piles on three negatives in one sentence 
to emphasize the impossibility that any human being could restrain this man. I want to show it to you. It reads literally this way. Not, first negative, even with the chain, no, second negative, longer could, third negative, no one bind him. Not even with the chain, no longer could, no one bind him. That's how it literally reads. Mark went on to emphasize the incredible, inhuman-like strength of this man in verse 4. Look back at the text with me. Mark 5, 4, For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Subdue him. This man was not Harry Houdini. Now, I just want to check the culture level here. How many of you know who Harry Houdini is? All right. Okay. For those of you who don't know, he was a magician in times past, and he was known for his unique ability to escape different types of restraints. Okay? This man is not Harry Houdini. Unlike an escape artist who typically left their restraints unbroken, the demoniac powerfully destroyed them. He wiped them out. This is no trick of the hands. This is raw, supernatural power at work in this man. It says he pulled and twisted the chains apart around his body. And then he took the restraints on his feet, that is the shackles, and the idea that's being communicated is that he crushed them like we would crush pottery. (laughs) Verse 4 at the end, Mark wants to make sure you know, no man had the physical strength, and he says, to subdue him. The word there literally can mean tame him. It's the same word, the same Greek word there is used in James 3.7 and there it's used in speaking about man's ability to tame a wild beast and that we have that ability. Wild beasts can be tamed according to James 3.7 but this man could not. This man could not. What made him such a strong and powerful force? Such a powerful and strong opposition to deal with? That is revealed in verse 9. Look back at the text with me. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Jesus asked the unclean spirit to identify himself. It was not for his sake, not for Jesus' sake, as if it was important for Jesus to hear this man give his name. But more likely, it was for the sake of the witnesses standing around him. You see the same idea in John 11:42 and 12:30. In both cases, in that section in John, in one case, Jesus prays to the Father, and in another case, the Father speaks to him. And in both stories, we are told that it was not for Jesus' sake that those things happened, but so that those around him could hear what was going on. So that they would be insiders to some of the knowledge that Jesus and the Father had. In the same way, I believe, the reason... It wasn't as if Jesus didn't know who this was or who possessed this man, but his disciples did not. And so he asked, 
What is your name? Not just one powerful demon exists in this man, but an army of opposition, of evil opposition. The leading demon here, acting as the spokesman for the rest, responds to Jesus by calling himself Legion. Not one evil spirit controlling this hopeless man, but a great, great number. Now, Legion to you and me may not be familiar, but it was very familiar to the people of that culture, and it would have been very, very familiar to the people who first read the Gospel of Mark, written to the Romans. Legion is a term in the ancient Roman culture that referred to a group of soldiers in the Roman military, and it consisted of about 6,000 of them. 6,000 of them. Now, don't make a direct connection and suggest, that would not be right to suggest, that there were actually 6,000 demons in this man. The word readily became known as, and even to this day is acknowledged as, when you say a legion of, it's a reference to very many. To the Jews who were under Roman domination, to the Jews that were there and witnessing this event, to the Jews that heard this demoniac say, we are possessed by legion, it would mean to them, understanding the connection between the Roman army that suppressed them, and the legions that would come in and dominate them, it would mean to them vast numbers, complex organization, invincible strength, and relentless oppression. That's how they would understand what just took place there and who existed in this man. One commentator adds that the term legion has the effect of making the scene like a battle between the powers of evil and Jesus. It's on. The many powerful forces of Satan against the one Son of God. Who's going to come out on top? Who will win the day? Well, the reality is, beloved, it's no contest. It's no contest. What to man seems like a ferocious, untamable lion, Jesus handles like a powerless kitten. How is that possible? And that brings us to our third aspect of this story, which is Jesus' superior position. A superior position. Look back at the text with me, verse 6. And when he, that is the demoniac, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. I like the other translations in this point in the text, the New American Standard Bible translates this, bow down before him. That's appropriate. The NIV translates this, fell on his knees in front of him. Those are all appropriate and accurate translations. The demoniac, I just want to make sure you understand, the demoniac was not running and caught himself on a stone and tripped and fell down before Jesus. That's not the image. That's not the picture of what's going on. He gets to Jesus, and the demons recognize now who he is. They see. This is not just another man, but something much, much more. And the appropriate response for them is to bow before him 
as a sign of respect. You know, this is should maybe remind you of another passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. In that book, Paul tells us this, Therefore God has highly exalted Him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what the demoniac did? He did what every person will do one day. The disciples and the crowds were still confused. As we've seen as we've gone through the book, they're still confused about exactly who Jesus was. But the demons were certain about His identity. And Jesus terrified them. Terrified them. This man, beloved, had never met Jesus. Remember, they're on the other side of the lake. This is Jesus' first time on that side of the lake. It wasn't as if this man knew who Jesus was by appearance. But the demons who controlled this man were painfully aware of who Jesus was. They knew. Look at verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. In verse 10 and 12, we're not going to look at those passages specifically, but in verse 10 and 12, this demon begins to beg. Twice the word is mentioned. And he begged him. And they begged him. Pleading with the superior one. The demons who had their way with this poor man now plead with Jesus knowing that He will have His way with them. This is unlike the Super Bowl in this sense. This is where the two stories are not similar at all. In the Super Bowl, we assume that there will be a contest of fairly equally matched Opponents, And I know there's different opinions about how equally matched they are. But the idea is this is the best of the best. And either one, theoretically, could win, right? That is not the case here. Jesus stands superior over the demonic realm. And I know that in Vegas right now, many bets are being placed on one team or the other, but only a fool, only a fool would bet against Jesus in this supernatural showdown. One writer says it this way, and I like it. When demoniac meets divine, it's a no contest event. The demon calls Jesus the son of the most high God. The most high God. This phrase points to the superiority of the true God of Israel over all man-made gods, little g. He is the superior one. One writer says it this way, this phrase establishes the uniqueness of Jesus' position in relation to God Almighty and the universality of His power. 
Jesus, beloved, is inferior to no one. That's what Mark wants us to see. He is inferior to no one. His power can and will overcome any and all things according to His plans and His purposes. And Jesus' disciples were again witnesses to His great supernatural power as He sent the demons out of this man and into some nearby pigs. Now, I don't want you to get distracted here. Much is made of this particular section of Scripture about Jesus sending demons into pigs. And then the story tells us that the pigs, all roughly 2,000 of them, that's a lot of bacon, a lot of bacon, ran into the nearby lake, drowning themselves one after another. And people will begin to talk about the ethical dilemma. Why would Jesus wipe out their, their, you know, this is how they supported themselves. These were pig farmers. Or was he punishing them? Maybe they were Jews and they weren't supposed to be farming pigs because that was forbidden. So maybe this is Jesus' way of punishing them. Let me give you just a basic interpretive rule when you're looking at Scripture. If Scripture doesn't say anything about it, be careful what you say about it. We don't have anything. We don't know exactly why he sent them off into the pigs, why the demons begged him to be sent off into the pigs, and why, of all things, that Jesus would even allow it, as the text says. We don't know. So for someone to go in there and begin telling you, well, this is why it happened, is risky and dangerous and really is speculation at best. And this is a regular technique of those on television. They will regularly go to a passage and begin to fill in all kinds of things that the Bible does not say. And because they begin with the Bible verse and maybe end with the Bible verse, you're supposed to believe that everything in between is true. That is not the case. If the Bible doesn't support it, it is not the Word of God. So just be careful. The focus here is not pigs. Jesus did not hate bacon. I don't think that's the answer. (laughs) The focus is Jesus. This detail as part of the story is because it was a real event. And just like any other historical event, the writer is recording the details. Beyond that, explains to us why the herders ran away and why the crowd responded so quickly. See, these herders were taking care of the pigs. They just lost all of them. So now they're going to go back and tell the owners, I wasn't us. This Jesus guy got off his boat. He's casting demons out. The demons went into the pigs. We had nothing to do with it. And so immediately, the people come from the city, they come into this area and say, what is this all about? 2,000 pigs? Never heard of such a thing. Running into the water one after another and drowning themselves? See, and that helps us understand exactly what's going on. This, beloved, leads us to the last point. To the last point. And that is a radical transformation. A radical transformation that took place in this individual. He began with a hopeless situation and he had behind him a powerful opposition that would resist any change. 
But this powerful opposition came up against a superior position. The one of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And as a result, what takes place is a radical transformation. Look back at verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. That is, after Jesus casts these demons out of this man and they went into the pigs, as we had just talked about. Verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion. The legion. Mark doesn't want you to miss it. Don't forget, my readers. This is the one who had the legion. Had. This was his past condition. And now he says, he's sitting there, clothed. Clothed. And in his right mind. This is his present condition. And they were afraid. I find that fascinating. If you were here last week, do you remember? The disciples were in the boat. They were fearful for their lives. They woke Jesus up being very irritated. Do you not care that we are perishing? We are already dying and are going to die Jesus calms the sea with a few words. And then the story ends that then they became greatly afraid. But wait a minute. The sea's calm. The wind's not blowing. What are you so scared about? The demoniac was the one that they were afraid of. In Matthew it says that they would not even go near that place because the violence that was associated with these demoniacs, this demoniac here especially. They would not even go near them. They were afraid. The demoni- the demons are gone. Why were they so afraid? And it's the same reason I told you last week. To stand in the presence of one so powerful. One so supernatural. One so holy. Is unnerving, beloved. It is terrifying. And they were afraid. They had never seen anything like this on earth before. They'd never heard of such a thing. They look upon that maniac who was completely out of control and now he's sitting, what's the text say? He's just sitting there. The idea is that just he's calm. He's calm. The nudist who is roaming around the tombs is now clothed. He's now wearing clothes. The insane man is now rational and in control of his mind and his actions. One writer puts it this way. The great calm that came over the sea in Mark chapter 4, verse 39 matches the great calm that now governs this man because he encountered the living God. Who in the world... Who in the world could conquer such great evil? Only a being with superior power. That's what Mark wants you to see. Only the divine Son of God. And the actions of this man help us to understand even the change that has taken place within his heart. Look back at the text with me in verse 18. Remember the condition of this man when we started off. Now read, as he was getting into the boat, that is Jesus... 
the man who had been possessed, past tense, with demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This man, rescued and transformed by Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, wanted nothing else but to be with Him and was more than willing to brag and boast about Jesus and what Jesus had done for him. This morning, as we, as I consider with you, all right, that's what the text is about. How does that apply to me? How do I take something away from this that I can use in my life today and tomorrow? And I said that we were going to look at four aspects of Jesus' victorious encounter with the demoniac, which we did. I want you to think about them a little bit. A hopeless situation, a powerful opposition, a superior position, and a radical transformation. We were going to look at all those, and we did, so that we might see, honor, and proclaim Christ as the champion He is. He alone, He alone has power over and has conquered man's greatest enemies. Today, beloved, a good portion of our country, and by the way, let me just make this disclaimer. I'll be watching the Super Bowl today. Okay, before I say all this, there's nothing wrong with the Super Bowl. Today, a good portion of our country, millions, well, let me take that back, maybe the halftime show. On a regular basis, there's something very wrong with the halftime show. But in general, in general, and some of the commercials are raunchy, but other than that, men slamming into each other is just a wonderful thing to watch. Today in our country, a good portion, millions, beloved, millions will sit and stand in front of their televisions, mostly stand, and scream and holler for the team they want to win. Or maybe they just want that team to, it's not even their team, but I've asked people, who are you rooting for? Well, neither of my teams are in it, but I want this team to win. Why? Because the other team beat my team, that's why. Okay, that's a good reason, I'm with you. Many have been anticipating and talking about and longing for and waiting for this event all year long. And the big day has finally arrived and the great showdown is now, beloved, only hours away. Right? Are you ready for some football? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) One team will walk away a loser. We know that. And the other team a champion. And they will go down in football history and they will be talked about for years to come. The winning team's fans will brag on their team in the coming days and wear the appropriate apparel to show their loyalty and support. Beloved, they will even try 
to convince people why, why they should become fans of their team. They will. <laughs> Christian, I highly doubt anyone will be talking about the winner of the Packer Steeler Super Bowl in the eternal world to come. But I am certain that those in heaven with God will never, they will never stop bragging and boasting about Jesus as the greatest, greatest champion of all time. Having conquered sin and death and the devil through his sacrificial, substitutionary death on the cross and his triumphant, death-defying resurrection. Beloved, consider this for a second. This is me speaking to the men, some of you. Most women do not get this involved. But I have found amazing ability in men to memorize and to know great statistics, individual players, how well they're doing, how well they're not doing, where their team stands in the rankings, where every other team stands in the rankings. They've got it all down. They can talk to you about their team for hours. Just consider this. But they could not rehearse back to you the 66 books of the Bible. They could not maybe even relate to you with even any reasonable detail, common Bible stories that children used to learn when they were growing up. They could not tell you what the first book of the Bible is about. They could not tell you what the last book of the Bible is about. Just think on those things. Because it reveals to us and to me, what are we really excited about? What really fires us up? I have people tell me all the time, I can't memorize Scripture. I can't memorize the Word of God. Ask them about their sports team. Our spiritual condition, beloved, as we look at this, and now I want to apply it directly to us, our spiritual condition was hopeless. We too were in a hopeless situation. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, separated from God and under His almighty wrath. That was our previous condition as believers in Jesus Christ prior to placing faith in Him. Our opposition was powerful. Sin and Satan at work to destroy us and keep us in bondage and to create in us a death-like existence. But the superior Jesus, the Son of the Most High, reached out to us in His grace and sovereign power. 
Ephesians 2, 3 through 9, and graciously granted us the repentance to turn back to Him and the faith to believe that His death and resurrection was for us. And as a result, the Bible says we have been born again. John chapter 3, verse 5. We have been transformed. We are new creations. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The penalty of sin for all those who have believed has been paid. And the power of sin over our life has had its back broken in two Romans 6, 1 through 23. And we are waiting the day when the presence of sin will be a distant memory. Revelation 21. All this, beloved, has been accomplished by the mighty champion, Jesus the Christ. We love, see if you agree with this, we love to talk about great victories, don't we? Did you see that beating? I'm referring to the game. (laughs) Not what one parent says to another after. (laughs) We love it. We love a great victory, a good stomping. So why in the world would we treat the victory of Christ on the cross like it wasn't really that big of a deal? Why? Why, beloved? The demoniac had been powerfully delivered from the demon's grip. And what did he want to do? He wanted to be with Jesus. And when Jesus said, no, I have other plans for you, you go out and you tell people what I've done for you, how I've shown mercy to you. And what did he do? He proclaimed that, beloved. He proclaimed that to anybody who would listen. Now, if you are a Christian... You've been delivered from hell itself. You've been delivered from hell itself, beloved. Not by your works, but through the greatest victory this world will ever know. Ever. Yes. Christ defeated, I'll say it one more time, death, sin, and the devil at the cross for all who believe. Now that is something. That is something on this Sunday to really get excited about and to proclaim to a lost and dying world Christ, our champion. Remember Him today, beloved, when you gather with your family and your friends to celebrate something that no one will be talking about in the kingdom of God to come they won't Jesus will always be the focus of everyone he has rescued by his grace we're going to have a time of reflection this morning which simply means just think on these things today you have a special opportunity and actually I just want to pray for you you're going to have a special opportunity because you, you may or may not be, I don't know, if you're enjoying the Super Bowl, you'll be with other people today, right? People that maybe you don't always hang out with. There'll be big groups there. And there will be uh, 
tears and happiness and joy and all that. What a great opportunity to talk to people about, you know, that was, that was neat and that was exciting. I would love to tell you about another champion. Another champion. One that will absolutely change your world forever. Let's pray.